You're listening to Theology and Apologetics with Thomas Fretwell, bringing theology to life. Пішов теж і Йосип із Галілеї, із міста Назарету, до Єдеї, до міста Давидового, що звереться. Що звереться Віфлеям, бо походило з дому та з роду Давидового, щоб йому записатись з Марією, і з ним зарученою, що була вагітна. І сталося, як були вони там, що настав її день породити. І породила вона свого первенця сина, і його сповела, і до ясел поклала його, бо в заїзді місце не стало для них. Пасторок танyáztak azon a vidéken a szabad ég alatt, és őrködtek éjszaka anyájuk mellett, és az Úr angyala megjelent nekik, körül ragyogta őket az Úr dicsősége, és nagy félelem vett erőt rajtuk. Az angyal pedig ezt mondta nekik, ne féljetek, mert íme hirdetek nektek nagy örömet, amely az egész nép öröme lesz. Que os ha nacido hoy en la ciudad de David un Salvador que es Cristo el Señor. Esto os servirá de señal. Hallaréis al niño envuelto en pañales, acostado en un pesebre. Y repentinamente apareció con el ángel una multitud de las huestes celestiales que alababan a Dios y decían Gloria a Dios en las alturas y en la tierra paz, buena voluntad para con los hombres. Quando gli angeli si allontanarono da loro eh, per ripartire in cielo, i pastori dissero tra loro, andiamo fino a Betlem per vedere ciò che è avvenuto e che il Signore ci ha fatto conoscere. Andarono quindi di fretta a trovare Maria, Giuseppe e il bambino che giaceva in una mangiatoia. Dopo averlo visto, divulgarono quanto era stato loro detto a proposito di quel bambino. Thank you. That you never heard the Christmas story like that before. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. And you'll see why we had that done as we move into our message now. Father, we'd ask now as we just look into your word, as we speak about the meaning of this time of year, we pray that you'll just bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it does feel like a bit of an achievement to actually get here. I don't know, people have been dropping like flies left, right and center with all these bugs going around. But if you're here, well done. However, confession to you all, I find this sermon, it's probably the shortest sermon that I will give all year, but it's actually one of the hardest. I think it's one of the hardest I find to prepare because there's, there's an expectation, I think, on the Christmas service. On the one hand, you want people to have an enjoyable time, a nice evening and go away and get ready for Christmas, but also as believers, 
we want to say something that is meaningful. We don't just want to give Christian platitudes to people like is often done at this time of year. But I think one of the things that makes it difficult is that you're aware that everyone in the audience has their own feelings towards Christmas, that you have to kind of factor in. You have visitors, you have people you don't know here. Some people just love Christmas. They love everything about it to the point that they're nauseating for other people to be around. There's their Christmas songs are out in kind of October, November, and that sort of thing. For many, it does drudge up some unhappy memories. They didn't have good Christmases when they were young, and that makes it a difficult time of the year for people, so you want to factor that in. But these are more just the, tradi- the traditional elements. If you factor in the religious component of Christmas, uh, it gets even more complex, because you're probably all aware many people are very happy to speak about Santa or reindeers, or Kevin McAllister and Harry and Marv, and all these types of things that we associate with Christmas, but they're not really interested in hearing much about Jesus, other than a few things to do with the manger. And then I'm also aware that there are probably people who have been brought up in a strict religious household, who have had God misrepresented to them. A stern spirit has tainted their perception of God, and therefore they eagerly look at the clock as the man up here giving the religious part of the sermon or the message and waiting for it to be over and then just for all of us carol services we've been to a lot in our life haven't we and they kind of all blend into one and a lot of similar things take place for parents you're quite often at this point you're so frazzled of the whole christmas preparations you're just happy to sit for an hour with no one asking anything of you or doing anything and making sure the children stay quiet. But all of these different responses really just go to show that we are quite complex creatures as humans. Yet ultimately, I say we do need the same thing, all of us. doesn't matter our backgrounds or where we come from, and that is we need the truth. And we need a real hope that is in fact based on truth. And this is where Christmas does have something to say to all of us. You can look around the state of the world right now And I would say the the world needs to hear the message of Christmas. In many ways, it's a world that is full of trouble, full of strife. There are wars and rumours of wars. There's lies and falsehoods going on. No one quite knows who to believe, what to believe, why they believe it or why they don't believe it. And on and on it goes. The world is advancing and moving very quickly in some ways. The technological revolution is preparing us for the next stage, we're told. Yet many of us distrust where that might lead or we're unsure where that might lead and all these things in amongst all of this noise all of this commotion this busyness and we could list more things with that the message of the child in a manger is still told and it is still speaking to many people around the world why in many ways it should have been left as a relic of a pre-modern age but because god has written this story into the history of this world its impact is unavoidable No matter how hard you may want to ignore it in your life, when Christ came to this world 2,000 years ago, everything changed. You see, the story was no longer left as words. The story actually became flesh. And thus, it is a living reality that continues to grow, even to this day, across the world. Even thousands of years before that manger, God had laid out his purpose to bless the world through a promised one who would come. And he told us many things in advance about this promised one so that we would be able to identify who he was talking about and when he came. 
We just had the Christmas story from Luke's Gospel read to you in a number of different languages. And I don't want that significance to be missed on you. Gentiles, that's anyone who's not Jewish, a Gentile worshipping the God of Israel, standing up here reading the story about the Messiah who came. This in itself is a fulfillment of prophecy. The ancient prophecies found in the Old Testament of the Bible speak of the day when this would occur. Let me read to you from the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 8 to 12. It's an unusual text for a Christmas message, but you'll see where I'm going, hopefully. The Apostle Paul writes, Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over Gentiles, and they will place their hope in him. And these are unusual prophecies. Gentiles from all over the earth will praise the God of Israel. More than that, it says there in that final passage from Isaiah, the heir to David's throne. David's throne, King David in Israel. The king of Israel will come, the heir to that throne, and many of the Gentiles will place their hope, that means their trust, their faith in him. Now this is a remarkable prophecy when you think about it, considering the time that that was written in the days of Isaiah, 500 years before Christ even existed on this earth, before they'd even heard of the name Jesus Christ. Yet you have Israel, a tiny, bewildered nation at the time, split, divided into two, half of it already taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire, the other half soon to follow into the Babylonian captivity by the Babylonian Empire, a tiny little speck surrounded in a world of empires, each one of these empires with hundreds of gods, millions of resources behind them, promoting them, forcing people to worship them, on and on and on. There is no natural reason why peoples from all the other tribes and tongues of the world would place their hope in the promised one from that tiny little nation, except that is exactly what has happened. You've just seen a living fulfillment of it. It happened because the heir to David's throne did come. This is what Christmas is really all about. 2,000 years ago, that heir to David's throne did come. Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God came, fulfilled the promise, and he begun the revolution that has been growing ever since. But he did not come for no purpose. He did not come so that we would just sing carols and all those things that we associate with Christmas. He came on a mission to save mankind from our own sin. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the very name Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, it means God saves. That is literally what the name Jesus means. And it is a name that is known across the world, and it literally spells out the very thing that he came into this world for, to save us. Could God really be any more obvious? He came to save and when the message of Jesus has been taken across the globe, it always results in the same thing, people being saved 
and putting their hope in him, just as the ancient prophecies foretold. All the gods of all the other empires I've listed there are gone. You'll learn about them in museums and history. There is only one that Gentiles are still placing their hope in in the same way. The message of salvation and mercy penetrates the darkest places of the earth. History testifies to this. It doesn't matter what era or when it was, whether it was cannibal tribes of New Guinea, the headhunting mountain tribes of Indonesia, whether it was shamans in other places, people in slums, the Viking tribes of Scandinavia, the Victorian gin houses, the workhouses in London, the halls of parliaments, palace courts from across the world, armies, battlefields, politicians, aristocracy, rich, poor, the result is the same. When the message of Jesus is preached, people repent and Gentiles put their hope in the God of Israel and they are saved. And every time that happens, prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus came to save people from their sins. The past testifies to it. The present testifies to it. Many of us in this room testify to it and the future will testify to it too. Now at this time of the year, we remember the birth of Jesus Christ, particularly and we have a certain sentimentality about the manger and the wise men and the stories and these types of things, but we must not allow it to become isolated from the rest of the history because it continues. It was not just the manger, the cradle. The story continues to the cross and the story continues to glory beyond. You see, this child grew to fulfill his mission, to die on that Roman cross in our stead, in our place for our sins, the innocent for the guilty, the just for the unjust, the spotless Lamb of God. And in so doing, he fulfilled the longing of the ages and he begun the transformation of this world. You see, remember the prophecy that I read said that Gentiles all over the world would glorify God because of his mercy. I'll read verse 9 again. It says, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. What one act of mercy did this Jewish king do that would forever have people from all nations, all tribes and all tongues placing their hope in him and worshipping him. You could say it's the greatest act of mercy in all the world, one place where God's judgment and mercy fell in exactly the same place, and mercy triumphed over judgment. Of course, I refer to the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest act of mercy. This is why Paul calls it the ultimate demonstration of his love for us. Whatever false perception you may have picked up for, about Jesus from the culture, from someone who has misrepresented Jesus, from whatever your history may be. When you come to the true revelation of the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ, as we are reading in the scriptures, you are confronted with the character of a God who is in his great love and mercy died for you so that you could be saved. Titus 2.4 says, When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And you travel the world today, doesn't matter what continent or country you go to, you will find people testifying that they love Jesus because of his mercy towards them. And this is something that is prophesied in the Bible. This is really the end of the Christmas story. You see, the world likes the manger, but the world hates the cross. But God says the manger is useless without the cross. The two things go together. The celebration of Christmas in this way will not go on indefinitely. It has ramifications for the future too. It is not just something nostalgic that we think of, something that happened 2,000 years ago. It leads us to a conclusion, one which everyone must face one day. You see, this same Jesus who came all those years ago has promised again that he will come on an appointed day in the future where he will return to judge the world. He's come to save the world already. The second time will be different. Acts 17, verse 31, he says, because he has fixed a day 
in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. You see, but until that day, the message of Christmas is for all people everywhere to repent and come to him, to place their hope in him, to worship him as the Magi did all those years ago. He offers more than we could ever fathom, something that is indescribable, something that is so remarkable and inconceivable. It is paid for and available freely to whosoever will come to him. It is something that we could never earn, something that we do not deserve, nor can we enter into it by any other way. It is utterly unique and incomparable. It is none other than God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. So with the Apostle Paul, we say, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I challenge you to discover the real meaning of life and Christmas this year. Amen. You've been listening to Theology and Apologetics. This podcast is supported by your generous donations. To help us continue to bring you great content, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash theologyandapologetics. If you've been blessed by this podcast, please leave us a review and remember to connect with us on social media. For more resources, please go to theologyandapologetics.com. Thanks for listening.